This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, joined, of course, by Andrew, QB11. And uh, yeah, I, Andrew, it's been a while. I missed you. It has been. I'm so sorry, guys. It just last week just didn't, it wasn't going to happen. We tried. Well, it wasn't just you. It wasn't just you. It was both. No, it was, but, you know, it, if we're going to miss a preview, that's one to miss. There wasn't a whole lot to say. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like, I, of all the podcasts, we're going to do our best to absolutely not miss another one for the rest of the season. But it was one of those things where Doug was on vacation, and then uh, I was at a work conference all week. And then during the work conference, I got really sick and lost my voice. And so it wasn't going to be a, a good podcast. I was going to try to go solo, and then I lost my voice entirely. But um, I'm I'm glad that we were getting messages with people wondering where it was and that people care. Uh, and I'm really sorry that we weren't able to uh, – you guys what you wanted last week but we're back um and we're going to be back on our normal cadence going forward so yeah so that means we'll be back with thursday morning with our preview of the uh colorado game which is we'll talk about that you know maybe toward the end of the show a little bit more too but it, it's going to be insane and eugene for the for the dion hype train and they're three and zero, and they're riding high off their their big win uh, in boulder last weekend but i don't know qb i don't know if people missed us or if they just missed their fix, because I if, kind of seemed like some people jonesing for the podcast, but I don't, I don't know if it's me. Well, it's certainly not me, um, but I don't know, Doug. I think, I think the people like you. I think you're the favorite. Um, okay, I, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it. I guess. But anyway, we're back. So let's do this. We got to, we got to talk about this game. I. Uh, you know, Hawaii, it was 55-10. Uh, you know, Hawaii got a three-pointer field goal at the end of regular or at the end of the second quarter, r- right before going into the half, which was kind of aided by some Oregon penalties. And then Locker. on a similar theme, they got a, a seven-point touchdown really close to the end of the game, which was again aided by some Oregon penalties. I know Dan was was not happy uh in the post-game press conference about the the penalties that really what turned what could have been and maybe should have been a 55 to zero game or even a 62 to zero game thinking you might've gotten another possession into a 55, 10. But I mean, as he said, he's, he's kind of nitpicking. He's looking for things to find, um, you know, the team could get better on. And and that's the, I mean, that's what you want, right? That's what you're like 
perfection, you know, you're always in pursuit of perfection and it's never attainable. There's always something you can do to get better on. And, and you kind of love that you're going to recognize all the awesome things that the team did. And he said they played a nearly perfect game. Yeah. There's I mean, it's one on. of the most, one of the most complete games we've played during the Dan Lanning era. Right. And so um, I understand the frustration with the penalties. I'm frustrated with the penalties. We always do it typically in third and long situations where a team has no way of possibly converting. Um, and eventually that's going to bite us in the butt if we don't get it under control because there's going to be teams on the schedule that are good enough to beat us on a, on a day where we aren't executing at a perfect low, not a perfect, but at a super high level, um, and, when, and, and when we are shooting ourselves in the foot with penalties. Uh, Hawaii wasn't good enough to do that, and frankly, we were executing at such a high level across the spectrum, like offense, defense, special teams, besides the penalties that – um, it didn't really matter in this game, like it, at all. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that, like as a coach, it drives you nuts, right? Like you're trying to get that stuff fixed before you start playing games against teams like Washington and USC and Utah and Oregon State, um, and really get into the meat of that schedule. So um, I'm glad to see that Dan's not satisfied with that. I'm glad to see that like he's kind of red assed about the whole thing and um, <laughs> is is really like pushing the envelope with the team and like pushing accountability as opposed to celebrating what's a pretty dominant win. I mean, I, you look around the country and you have teams like Alabama struggling with USF and, and Oregon's really just taking care of business against the teams that should take care, care of business again. Yeah. And I mean, even though, the, especially that last possession, right, there's a couple defensive penalties that allowed Hawaii to eventually get down there and score. And I mean, those are, those were penalties on true freshmen who were, you know, fourth, fourth, you know, on the depth chart and won't be playing a meaningful staff this season, but there, it is an opportunity for them to learn and to get better. And, and the, the, I love the fact that they're coaching them up and saying like, you know, Hey, this is, this isn't the standard and, and you got to do better going forward. And that's, um, you know, that's the right thing to do, of course. So uh, you got to like that, but uh, you know, overall, I thought, I mean, the theme of this game was, I mean, this game was, this was a dominant performance. And, and to me, this game was way more impressive than, the Portland State game, as an example, I mean, the score is not as, I mean, Hawaii is a much better team than Portland State, and they can actually throw the ball around, and Oregon gave them nothing. They had, like, 80 yards at halftime. No one will admit it after the fact, but, like, if you're a fan of a, a rival team to Oregon, this was a game where you were hoping to see Oregon secondary get exposed to get, so that you could, like, draw You'd some kind disappointed. of... Like, yeah, moral win from from a, from an Oregon win, right? Like if like if you're a Washington fan and you're looking forward to this game here in Week Six, like you were really hoping that Oregon's pass defense would get gashed by uh, by a pretty explosive Hawaii passing game. And is it a, are they a great football team? No. Is their offensive line good? Good, no. Uh, but they they do have they have a, a pretty experienced quarterback in a run and shoot system that can cause some problems for your back half. And really, Oregon secondary executed at an elite level. Everything was kept in front, and when and when and when balls were caught um, in the intermediate power in and short passing game, there was hats flying to the ball, taking good angles and finishing tackles, and that's really like that was the most that was the thing that stuck out to me most of this game. Yeah, I, I, this stat is crazy to me, and I've, I've read it multiple times, and I'm still kind of shocked by it. Their starting quarterback attempted 43 passes. He averaged three yards per attempt. Not per completion, three yards per attempt. That's an insane number. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, average that's... depth of target was six six point nine yards, which is low, but not it's not that low. But I mean, Oregon just they gave them nothing after the catch. Their yards after catch were like two yards. 
And most of that was on just a, you know, a handful of plays that accounted for that average. They only missed two tackles in coverage after, you know, so out of uh, 30 or 28 completed passes, there was only two missed tackles. So like you said, and I saw, it felt like every play I saw in the game was Hawaii throwing a short pass, the guy immediately being tackled, like immediately. It was it was uh, it was really really good uh, coverage across the the backfield, and and I think it gave me a lot of again you know Hawaii's doesn't have the talent uh, that Washington or USC or, or even Colorado has in the receiving core, and we're not claiming that, but the fact that it they they did go out and throw the ball 46 times or sorry 44 times and they are a team that has had success i mean they threw for 350 yards on vanderbilt and 350 yards on stanford so they can throw the ball around on p5 teams and again those aren't great p5 teams but they're still teams that have a lot more talent than hawaii and oregon just gave them nothing just stoned them in the passing game yeah and that's i mean to be honest with you like oregon played i've seen again the, the social media sentiment, the like reactionary, we don't watch film sentiment is always different than what the, the reality of situations are. And I've seen a lot of Oregon fans complaining about the way it's saying that we got torched by Texas Tech in the passing game. And it's like, it, not true. I, I don't, I don't know what game they watched, but that, that's not what I saw in film. Um, and that continued this week. Like when they tried to go vertical, like we're really, really athletic at corner. Um, you could tell that like when you watch us play in the secondary that all the guys with the fastest GPSs on the team are in that group because we can run with anybody. They do a re- they're really well coached. Coach Meets done a really good job with that room. And guys are playing with good leverage. They're squeezing things things to the sideline on vertical routes and making it really difficult to get explosives. And that's going to get tested. I mean, we're going to play some really explosive passing games this year. Uh, but that's got to give – I mean, I know it gives me a lot of confidence going forward um, just just knowing that we have good depth at corner with guys that can run and, and, and stay on guys vertical. Um, and it allows us to do a lot of different things in coverage, like Oregon's mixing and matching coverages. Um, not as much last this last week, but if you watch us against Texas Tech, like we're giving a lot of different looks. We're making things complicated. The simulated pressures, the front and the back end are, are tied together, right, in a way that I don't think that they really ever were last year. Um, and that, to me, is like the sign of like the, the upside and the improvement room left for the defense. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, to me, it's, it's clear now that, that Jaleel and Kyrie are the, are the, two, the two, you know, corner one and corner two. I'd probably make the case, I think Jaleel Forts is our best corner. Yeah, I think he is too. And and like I don't mean that as a like this to Kyrie Jackson. I think he's really no. good. And I think I think both guys are better than our second best corner last year. Now obviously Gonzo's making all kinds of plays in the NFL right now. Um and really looks good. But um I, th- this yeah, but, room is but I think yeah, go ahead. Really talented. Like even when you get down the depth chart, now obviously it's late in the game and it's backups, but when you're watching guys like Dylan Austin and Roderick Pleasant making plays and playing really tight coverage and you see the athletic skill sets that both those guys possess. Um, it's the, the future is really bright and the depth of that room is really impressive. Yeah. You get past, you get past Florence and Jackson. Obviously you've got Dante Manning. He's getting a lot of reps there. Uh, Nico Reed who's playing kind of slot and corner at times. Uh, and then, you know, you know, Triquez Bridges, who was a starter last year is playing like spot duty right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a guy who has a ton. He's a two-year starter, and he's like your fifth corner right now. And he's, and he's not those... doing badly. Like, he's playing well. But that's one of those things, though, that, like, when if we were talking about in the offseason, like, what are things that would be a sign of 
of good, like of quality growth um, for the Oregon like quarter room is if TriQuest Bridges isn't playing very much because that means a lot of guys got a lot better, and and that that seems to be pretty apparent to me watching the film is that like as we go down the depth chart, the separation is not nearly what it was a year ago, um, and I think the top end quality is actually like better again outside of Gonzo, Gonzo being unique in the sense that he's probably the best corner we've ever had. Um, so like, but when you look at the rest of the room beyond him, I think it's substantially improved. Yeah. I mean, Cole Martin's out there getting 24 snaps and, you know, and he's playing all over the field inside, outside. Um, I think he even played some safety too. So, you know, they're just, they're cross training a lot of guys on defense. I think it's really going to be interesting to see, how they approach this Colorado game, which I think will be a little bit of a preview maybe to how they, they approach the Washington and and uh, USC games down the road. But um, kind of, there's so I, many guys they can throw at the problem, which is which, just, they didn't have last year. Yeah, with Travis Hunter out, I think it does, it does change the way that you defend Colorado. And we'll get into that, obviously, during our game preview. Um, but the one thing I'll say about Colorado is they have a lot of slot body types, right? Like they're kind of like those Oregon receiver rooms of a couple years ago. And not that Weaver and Horn and those guys aren't good players, but they don't have a lot of the big apex exterior body types, like, like a Romo Dunze or a Troy Franklin or a, Ter- a Tedaroa McMillan. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like what you see on a lot of the high powered passing games, this is going to be a, a game. Again, I, I don't want to get too far into this. But... Yeah, that's fine. We'll come back to that on uh, Thursday in that yes. episode, the preview episode. But yeah, I, I think got a lot of thoughts on that a, game already. To put a P, yeah, I, I know it's hard to, not to get ahead of ourselves here, especially we're, we're a day late on this one. So we're already kind of moved on mentally, but I want to make sure we get this episode of the book. So I think to move on from the coverage, I think the, the defensive backfield, the safety play, the corner play, the nickel play all gives, I mean, we're essentially has five new starters in the defensive backfield, right? Um, which is uh, what was needed, and and I think they're you're seeing the improvements across the across the line there, and guys that were quality starters last year are playing now quality, you know, second and even third string string roles for us. So that's like, I mean that just shows you that how much better that room is. Or those even are. guys like Steve Stevens, like I don't anticipate that he's going to hold up particularly well against the better passing games in the conference, but he's certainly playing better football than he was a year ago. I think that's true for pretty much everybody to the man in the back half of the defense. And and frankly like let's give let's give the linebackers credit. They they weren't great at all times the week prior um in scraping and playing the run game, but they were really good in the pass game this week. Uh, I thought that Jamal Hill obviously um his move has been really useful in pass coverage, right? Like a guy that's played safety, he's played nickel. Um he understands how to move and play like a defensive back and having him in those third and long situations in there at inside linebacker with Jeffrey boss, that gives you two really athletic guys that can run and cover. Um, and, and again, there, is it ideal for them to be locked up in man to man coverage? No, but in certain pressure packages, you're not, you're not like absolutely killing yourself by doing it right. Like they can hold up for a, for a little bit at least. Well, and if they're, I mean, I'd rather have, you know, one of those two covering a, a tight end or a back out of the backfield than, than more of a, you know, traditional linebacker. Noah Sewell. Yeah, I don't want to pick on Noah. He's a great player. But no, no, I, he was a great player. But like, I'm just using him as an example of more of a traditional box linebacker that wasn't great in coverage and struggled to, to stick with guys. And that's like when with this defense, if you want to be really multiple and you want to bring guys from a bunch of different angles everybody on the field needs to be able to cover, right? Like you even see it with some of our defensive ends and, and our edge players. 
being put in situations where they got to drop the spots or they have to, they have to play spot coverage. But um, the, the overall athleticism of the defense has greatly improved from a year ago. And so I'm just, I'm interested to see like how that, like how does that play once we get into the real meat of the schedule against the best passing games? Yeah. I mean, and, and look, you I mean, let's talk about the linebackers. You're, you're also seeing, you know, Bryce, Bryce Betcher is playing a, a pretty significant role right now. We'll see what happens when Justin Jacobs comes back, uh, whether that's this week or, or next or, or after, but I mean, he's, he's acquitting himself well, right? I mean, he's playing solid football, uh, especially against a run, you know, it's not a guy you necessarily want to get in coverage too much, but, um, and I think he's playing. He's 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 a very aggressive downhill downhill guy, right? And and he he attacks the ball, and I think that's that energy he brings is is, is an element you like to see. Yeah, I, he's probably the best. I'm thinking of all the. We've had a, quite a few contributing walk on linebackers over the years. Yeah, I think Pelu a few years ago. Yeah, and I think he's the best. I think that's pretty clear at this point. Like he's athletically, he he, he moves the best. He can run. Um, he's a good tackler. He's just a really instinctive ball player. And that's like really what it takes to be a contributing walk on is you got to get guys that are just instinctive and can, and can play football at a high level, right? Like, like they, it's not that they're necessarily the most physically gifted players of all time, um, but he's actually like a really strong athlete. Obviously his baseball ties, he's got good athletic body control, but he just, he puts himself around the, he puts himself around the ball a lot. Um, and that's one of those things that's really tough to quantify when you're like doing film study on, on a high school player, right? Because they're usually so much more talented than the guys that they're playing against. Um, but watching him, it's pretty clear that he just has a nose for the football. Uh, he has, he, 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 the game is slow for him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, you know, let's, uh, I mean, he, and he's keeping, he's keeping some scholarship linebackers off the field right now. Uh, or at least uh, getting less snaps, you know, in, in Mixon and, and Soli and, and some others. So, uh, you know, good for him. I, I want to talk a little bit about the defensive line because, uh, you know, can we talk about Popo? Popo's yeah, back. He, yeah, Popo's back. He's better than ever. He looks really, really good. I mean, to be honest with you, the whole group looks really good. And, again, competition needs to be considered. Um, but if if we're getting consistent interior pressure, like we, we got it last week against Tech, too. Tech has a pretty like veteran interior offensive line, um, and frankly, there's not a lot of elite interior offensive lines on our schedule outside of possibly Oregon State. Um, there's some good players at some schools, but no, not a, not a unit in particular that really scares you. Uh, and so, I, I think that we're going to have an advantage there in every game for the rest of the season. I think that's yeah, gonna be I, somewhere I, where we can consistently get pressure and isolate matchups, which is. I think in some cases really beneficial because it gets quarterbacks off their spot. They don't just get to take their drop and make timing throws if the interior of the pocket is getting pressed and guys are getting beat um, right up in their face. Yeah, that sack he had was insane. So I mean, just a little bit on Popo. I was doing some kind of digging into so advanced kind of stats uh, earlier today. He's had uh, 14 pass rushes from what's what's called a true pass set, right? So it's where where it's an obvious passing down, um, it's a straight dropback kind of pass. He had, on the season through three games, he's had 14 rushes in the scenario. He's beat his man 50% of the time. Seven out of 14 times he's beat his man, which is usually the center. He's generated five total pressures in those in those 14 dropbacks, including two sacks. Uh, I mean, that's, it, those are dominant numbers from your nose tackle. My question would be, like, how many of those reps was he being sent on a stunt where that stopped him from being able to generate pressure. 
Yeah, he was, I, he was I'd part of a scheme or, or like yeah. a game that Oregon was playing on the front. Like th- those are the questions you have to ask, right? And and I, I obviously you don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not charting games that specifically, but whenever we're isolating him and just giving him a green light to go, he's winning. Uh, and I, I really don't think that's going to stop against anybody this year. And getting him back and having that kind of interior, that consistent interior pressure is going to make Brandon Dorless's life easier. It's going to make Mateo's life easier, Jordan Birch. Um, and it really makes a lot of our games, blitzes, and simulated pressures work better because we don't have to do them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Birch, he got his first sack of the year as well in this game, and I thought he, he played 29 snaps overall. This is the other thing I, I, I tweeted this out earlier, QB, is we're rotating in so many guys on defense through all three of these games. We're keeping we're keeping these guys fresh. Um, we only have six guys who's, who's who have played more than half of the defensive snaps this year. I was they're only the back one, half, right? Nah, it's a little bit of a mix of, of everyone, but only the only one who's even played more than 55% is Taishim. He's played like 78% of the snaps this year. Then and then the next highest guy uh is like 65%, 55%, no, 55%, sorry. Uh so both uh, Bossa and Hill are are in that group as well as um uh, I'll have to go find my tweet. I wasn't ready to, to follow up on it. But uh, I think Dorless Dorless is just below the 50% mark as well. So uh, even the defensive backs, I, I mean, we're just we've just been rotating, and some of that's the obviously the two blowouts, but some of it is by design because what you'll notice even in this game is we have second unit guys in on the second possession of the game. I mean, we're we're doing and not not like the whole line change, right? But we're mixing in. Okay, we got four starters and a backup in the defensive backfield, or three and two, right? Or we we've got these rotations going. Same thing in the front line and the linebacker core, right? Is we're just we're kind of just keeping this constant rotation of guys going. So you're seeing, you're seeing guys get, you know, much fewer reps overall. Like your starters are getting much fewer reps, or they're getting rested. But they're, but we're not seeing a drop off in play at the same time, right? And I think that's that's just huge. And it's going to pay dividends as you get into longer and longer into the season, and bodies start wearing down. Right. It's and a war of attrition, the right? And these guys are years. fresh. Yeah, it's not yeah. even just this season. It's over multiple years, like. We're seeing it with guys last year who played like Jalil Florence is a perfect example of that. Like his primary reps last year were in garbage time. And now we're, we're, we're cashing in on the fruits of that because he's not playing his first snaps this year. And so yeah. like being able to close teams out, get these young guys in and like these young guys are improving. These reps do matter. I know like a lot of people, well, I, I don't know. I don't think any of our listener base feels this way, but there's people that thinks that those reps aren't really all that important. Like I could not disagree with that more because we're seeing what that's doing. Like I'm watching a guy like Amari Washington, for example, he looks like a, like, like a way better player today or last Saturday against Hawaii than he did against Portland state. Right. Like he's not giving up his chest as much. He's playing with better pad level. He's striking. He's playing off blocks. Like he could, he didn't quite finish the play uh, for the, for the tackle for loss. But there's there's just a lot of really good things there um, that are like clear like technical mechanical improvements from a couple weeks ago even, um, and so that's the kind of stuff that gets me really excited about this team because as we go down the depth chart, we're seeing the improvement across the board. It's not just our top line guys that are getting the snaps and getting better, uh, and, and and with that in mind, like we're we're looking like quite dominant even in the fourth quarter when we have basically a freshman team out there.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move over to offense a little bit. You know, I think that, you know, let's talk about that. Um, And I think we're seeing a little bit of that there too. I mean, they had Dave Iuli rotating in at left guard, you know, early in this game. You know, he played 20 snaps there. Um, I thought he, you know, he looked pretty, I I didn't even notice that they were doing that for a while because I didn't notice any significant drop off. I think they're, they're looking, you know, I think they're looking for combinations in the, in the interior of the line, particularly at the two guard spots that, you know, obviously, we've seen some rotations earlier in the year with, um, you know, with uh, Angelau coming in for Stephen Jones or or Harper sliding over and playing that position or, um, you know, Ayapani Lalaulu, which we call um, Poncho. 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 So he's been playing switching in at right guard sometimes, and he did that in this game as well, played 26 snaps there. But now we saw in this game, we saw Dave Ayuli, you know, rotating in with Marcus Harper at left guard. So, again, we're playing – we got seven, seven offensive linemen playing, you know, twenty or more snaps this game, and that was even before garbage time. That wasn't counting the all the freshmen that came in and the younger guys that came in later. Yeah, and again, these are things that don't show up on a box score for the casual fan who's who's not an Oregon fan watching at home or or just watching highlights because they don't know the personnel like that. But that's not common for teams, especially in this league. Um, and so again, those are those those are things that pay dividends later on in the season, and, and I would say that highlighting like a key area for improvement other than penalties for the offense is that interior group gelling. And I wouldn't even call it the interior group; it's it's really our guard tackle combinations that are that are not always on the same page when they're uh, when they they're doing their combo blocks. And so as that, and it's better than it was against Tech this week, obviously, and. It should be. There was less resistance, but even then, I think that the execution looked cleaner. That needs to continue to improve week to week, and I think that that is probably the thing that will look the most different in mid-October than it does today. Um, as that unit gels and gets used to playing together and gets more experience under their belt as a unit, right? And I think getting Struther back into the lineup, which might be this week, it sounds like, uh, could be uh, something that helps that as well and aids that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the the running backs. Um, you know, it's a clearly a three headed rotation, right? Three headed monster, and and it's almost it's almost equal, right? We were thinking one A and one B with Jordan James being kind of the third back, but it's really been one A, one B, one C through three games so far. And and Jordan James Jordan. had two touchdowns. He's he's incredible. He's he's the best third running back in the country, maybe certainly in the conference. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really look at him as our third back. I I think he's probably at worst our second best back. Um, I I really really like Jordan James. I like the way he runs. He's got great pace, wiggle. Um, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Is he the fastest guy in the world in a straight line? No, but he's such a good runner. It doesn't really matter because he he creates space for himself with his patience and run instincts. Um, and he's just he's tough to tackle. I mean, that's a Lachlan thing, right? Like all of our backs are going to be tough to tackle. You're going to have to bring uh, you're going to have to bring your work belt to get our guys on the ground and 
I think having that depth and being able to rotate in fresh backs. And the nice thing is, is it's a lot of people would expect that if you're rotating backs the way we are, you would have like variance and skill set. They can all kind of do the same things. Um, so it's not like a clear tell when we change running backs, what we're going to be doing schematically, which I think is actually a good thing. Yeah, I, so Bucky had 12 carries for 59, Jordan James 7 for 61, and two touchdowns. And, and by the way, both of those touchdown runs were were really nice to watch. Just the the way, like you said, he kind of exhibited it, it in in those runs, like some patience, some wiggle, some some vision, and then and then kind of hit His the burst is really and good toughness. Too. And yeah, the burst is that's what I noticed about him. That kind of like getting changing gears and getting that burst going is yeah he's sudden he's 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 a good tw- uh, those are guys like in the nfl you call them 20 yard runners because they're not going to run away from world-class athletes in a straight line um but they can they they can get that 20 yards in a hurry right like they've got really good short area burst yeah yeah and then of course noah five carries 80 yards a touchdown he had a 41 yarder so um yeah, did everything we need to do in the running game. 220 yards total in the running game. Kenyon Sadiq on the tight end around, but that was kind of a little fun. little fun Will Stein uh, thing to watch there. And I, I look forward to his role continuing to continuing to expand because he really is a, an interesting matchup. And I think someone that's going to be really difficult for teams to game plan for um, because he, he's actually like a stronger blocker than I was anticipating on the perimeter and like post catch, he moves like a running back despite being a tight end. Yeah, no, he's, he's a really good athlete in space. And I think as his role expands, whether that's later through this year or into next year, I think that's going to start. He's very different with the ball in his hands than Ferguson and Herbert are as an example, not to say they're not, you know, I mean, they're, they're great tight end, receiving tight ends in their own right, right? They're the guys that are going to catch the ball and rumble and stumble and bowl you over for extra yardage. Sadiq is is, is a, just more of an athlete in space, and it's fun to watch him out there, and it'll be fun to watch him out there as his role expands in the future. Agreed. Uh, so let's talk about receiving. Uh, you know, we talked about the improvements of this room, and, and obviously I think clearly there's a four – this room is a four-person rotation right now. Um across the um, across the receiver room with with but what was nice to see in this game was those other three kind of joining Troy as you know in in production wise and, and opportunity wise right which we hadn't seen really consistently through the first three games um you know so Troy with seven catches or sorry seven targets four catches Tez had four four catches on six targets Treshawn four of four Gary Bryant Jr three catches on four targets uh, you know, and all of those, you know, two touchdowns each for Tez and Treshawn and and all all four of those guys averaged 16 or more yards per per catch. Right. So it, it, whether that was, um, you know, more downfield throws, which we saw some of in this game, obviously the deep shot to Tez being the most noticeable, but also like getting them, the which is what Stein has said. Right. Feed the studs. All of them can make things happen with the ball in their hands in space. And we saw that in, in, with all four of them in this game. Yeah, I I think seeing Trajan Holden become a bigger piece is nice because it's good to have a second larger body because Gary Bryant, I, I still believe he's kind of more of a slot player than he is an exterior receiver, and he doesn't struggle out there. He can run the whole route tree, but sometimes he can get pushed off his spot a little bit by more physical players, whereas Holden's a bigger body, right? And he, he stands up to that physicality a little bit better. So 
um, seeing Holden get more run and make big plays and seeing him actually show off some pretty impressive juice and top end speed um, is like, very encouraging to me because um, with, with him and Franklin and we have a nice mixture of body types and skill sets. And so depending on who we're playing and what we think the matchup is, we, we can use a lot of different bodies in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of. We were thinking earlier in the year it might be a five or six person rotation even at the, at the receiver spots, but it, it, we've seen more two things that I, I think is I mean, we're just not seeing that many guys rotating for that many snaps, and then also we're seeing more twelve personnel maybe than than I, we were expecting to see. So well, I'm more impressed the, with our tight end room than I was anticipating to be. So that's I mean too. Yeah, Casey Kelly had the had three three targets and caught two balls for. For 12 yards in this game and obviously uh ferguson had two catches and herbert had a catch as well yeah herbert continues to impress me with his athleticism it's i mean clearly he hasn't been healthy and i think that i was probably downgrading him too much because of that in terms of what i expected from his athleticism but i've been super impressed with the way he's moved around post catch um he's clearly a good blocker and casey kelly looked dependable in, in both uh, both areas as well. We yeah, already we know continue. what Terrence Ferguson is, so yeah, yeah. It's tonight. It's a guy you know. Hopefully, as the season wears on, and when we need it, you know, that's a guy we can get more involved in in certain aspects of the passing, and particularly maybe in the red zone and whatnot. And we'll see how that plays out when when that goes forward. So uh, uh, obviously, Bo's Bo. Uh, you know, twenty one of twenty seven, two hundred two hundred forty seven yards, three touchdowns. Had a couple of drops, uh, including you know one that might have been a, a touchdown or at least a long gain, um, and then. Uh, but other than that, he missed a couple long throws as well. He missed one to Troy that definitely would have been a touchdown. But yeah, he—that's uh, the one thing. Like we got it, those have to be hits. All of, like we cannot miss those at the click that we've missed them early this year. So that needs to improve. Like Bo just needs to be patient, put more under the ball. Troy's going to make a play if it's contested. Troy's going to get it right. So. Have faith in that. Give him a shot. You don't. You don't need to worry about overthrowing it. Um, you're not at Auburn anymore, Bo. Anything more you want to talk about this game, or you want to move on to uh, to our picks and kind of reviewing the rest of the week? No, just again, I, I think it's it's worth highlighting like the, just how clean of a performance this was from top to bottom. Um, like this this game. To me, this was the most complete game that we've seen, again, during the linear. I want to reiterate that because just execution from top line to bottom line as we went down the depth chart was really clean. Like Everybody was doing their jobs. It seemed that everyone knew where they were going. Um, as we went deeper and deeper down the depth chart, the angles on defense didn't de- like depreciate. Guys were playing really well. They were leveraging the ball. And just the overall tenacity and speed in which the defense played, Like we were rallying to the ball. I haven't seen an Oregon defense play like that in a long time, uh, probably since 2019. So, yeah, seeing young guys buy into that culture and buy into that system and that vision for what this defense should be and playing at that level with that kind of speed and and discipline and just doing their job, doing their 111th, if if that can really be if that can be continued to be developed and and grown upon throughout the rest of the season, I think this defense has a shot to be pretty good. Yeah, I I really think so too. It, it was um, yeah, it gave me a lot of hope, optimism, like confidence. You know, I, I, again, I, I think this defense is not the complete defense that that it will be in another year or two. 
Um, but I think it can be significantly better than last year, and it can be good enough to take Oregon, um, you know, quite a distance in a season that is looking more and more wide open across the landscape of college football this year. So, it, you know, we know Oregon's going to have. We're going to need this offense. unit to find some stops against some pretty elite offenses for this team to do what we hope it can do. Yeah, and, and I think, but I think that's true of, of those other teams too, right? Like, I kind of look at that Washington, that Washington game, the USC game, right? Those games is like, which team can make two stops, three stops over the course of a game, and that's the team that's going to win. Hundred percent agree. All right, so let's get on to the picks, QB. Um, we actually, I posted this out on Twitter earlier this week, I think yesterday, and, and you and Hop both had a great week. We both went nine and four this week against the spread. So well done, over almost 70%. And uh, I was seven and six, so above water, uh, coming back to earth a little bit from last week. And then in the Pac 12, uh, you and I were both four and two in those games, and Hop was an even three and three. So on the season, Hop is 23 and 17. And you and I are both twenty-one and twenty-one, so you're we're back to the uh, the Mendoza line or the the I guess that's not the Mendoza line. That's two hundred. So we're back to five hundred. That's uh, that's a positive development. Week two was brutal for me. So or week one was it? Yeah, week yeah, two week was two, your, week two. Yeah, week two was yeah very forgettable for you. But yeah, well done this week. You came back, and uh, now we're let's talk about. Oh, let's talk about the Oregon game. So, actually, I'm I'm the lone one who missed that. You and Hoff both had Oregon covering the 37 and a half. I thought Hawaii might. What get What about late. like Oregon under Dan Landing? What if they not covered against bad teams? I don't know, man. I just thought 37 and a half was a lot, and I was wrong. So, shame on me. Yeah. No, I I, I get it, but like we've just been the like that's been the most impressive thing under Landing is that like when we went on that eight win win streak last year, we were just blowing out teams that we should blow out. And that's what gives me a lot of confidence about this upcoming week. But we'll talk about that on Wednesday or Thursday. Yes, we will. And uh, let's go to that, that game right now. So none of us got this one, right? Cause we all had Colorado covering the 23 points spread and they didn't, they went to double overtime to knock off their in-state rival Colorado state in a game that was um, quite chippy. A lot of a lot of personal thousands. I think Colorado State had like 18 penalties for 180 yards or something. It was it was pretty insane. Um, Travis Hunter got knocked out of the game early. Uh, Colorado State. I thought the Colorado State was a better team uh, for pretty much the entire game, but then they just decided to play to lose in the last two minutes or so. And Colorado, um, you know. Came through big when they needed, especially Shooter Sanders, and, and he threw for 348 yards and four touchdowns and pulled them out of it in double overtime. Yeah, Coach Norvell kind of peed down his leg at the end of that game because he had a, he had multiple opportunities to put that thing away, and he just didn't have the guts to do it. Yeah, he played ultra-conservative safe, and, and it cost him. Yeah, you, got, you can't play scared when, when you're on the road in a game like that. Like It would be one thing if you were at home and – like. Your your defense was playing well. I don't know. It's uh, it's tough to see for them, but I'm I, I was kind of rooting for Colorado to come back and win because I want them as hyped up and over overhyped and overrated as possible coming into uh, <laughs> coming into Eugene on Saturday. 
Yeah, mission accomplished. They're three and zero, and we'll be previewing that on Thursday morning for you all. All right, let's move over to uh, another massive beatdown. The uh, team up north, Washington, takes care of business on the road at the Reeling, and I don't know even how to describe what's going on with Michigan State. Obviously, all the Mel Tucker stuff um, was certainly a distraction. I don't think it mattered. They're just a terrible football team. Washington is a good football team. They won 41 to 7. They were up 35-0 at the half and just kind of cruised in the second half. Penix, uh, 473 yards, four touchdowns in this one. And the receivers are are good and they throw the ball all over the place and they killed Michigan State. Yeah, that game didn't surprise me at all. Like it was gonna be it was gonna be one of those games where either Michigan State was gonna come out and play with inspiration that they hadn't shown throughout the year. Um, which I don't know why anyone would expect that with their head coach being pulled out and then throwing uh, Mark D'Antonio back into the mix. Like, yeah, that's not – it doesn't give me any any confidence that things are just going to instantly get better when you consider the end of his tenure. Um, and so with that in mind, like, Washington was the, the easy pick here. They smoked him. Uh, it was just explosions everywhere. Where to Michael Bay. They, they were able to do whatever they wanted through the air. Um, and I think they're going to be able to do whatever they want through the air against most teams, right? It's just like what happens yeah. when Michael Penix in that t- in that passing game isn't firing on all cinder- cylinders to start a game? Um, do they have something else that they're going to be able to depend on if they if they fall behind and aren't executing right? And so we'll see what it looks like over the course of the season. But there's no question that that passing game is super elite. They've got tons of playmakers. Um, very clear that they probably have the best trio of receivers in the country with with Polk kind of showing out the way he has so far this year and mm-hmm. um, they're they're going to be formidable throughout conference play absolutely let's move on uh, we all got that one right by the way here's one where uh, who got this one right uh, Justin got this one right you and I missed it we both had San Diego State or sorry, we the other way around. We both had San Diego State uh, keeping it close, closer. The, the Beavers were a twenty-four and a half point favorite, and they honestly didn't play very well. They won twenty-six to nine over the Aztecs, so we'll take the win on that one. Justin lost there, and, and DJ threw two picks uh, on this game. Was uh, fourteen of thirty for two hundred eighty-four yards. Also had a touchdown. Martinez ran for hundred and two. I mean, Oregon State wasn't really ever in danger of losing this game because San Diego State is not a very good football team, but Oregon State also didn't nope. look very good. But but San Diego State is talented enough and like plucky enough, especially defensively. Like this game was exactly what I expected. It was just sloppy. There wasn't a lot of offense. Like I think that Oregon State's gonna like this weekend against Washington State is gonna be a very interesting game for Oregon State because Washington State's more talented and even better coached defensively than San Diego State is, and I think Cam Ward's playing at a really high level now. So. That game is one that I'm going to have my eyes on, um, especially because it's being played up in Pullman, and, and Washington State can be really dangerous up there. Washington State's going to win that game. Mark it. Book it. Write yeah, it down in That's ink. my pick it's as well. happening. Yeah. I don't know what the line is. I haven't looked at that yet. I'm just saying the actual game on the football field, Washington State will win. Yeah. they. Uh, the only thing that concerns me is I, I do think Oregon State's going to be able to run the ball. Um, but I think Cam Ward, with the way that he's playing right now, is going to be able to keep the pressure on the Oregon State offense, and I think DJ will cough the ball up and turn it over a couple times. Yeah, I mean, he did against San Diego State, so I think that's – and and Pullman is a tough place to play. It's just a weird 
environment. Their fans do a good job up there. You feel like you're on Mars uh, when you're out there, and it's uh, almost yeah. like playing in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, yeah, almost. Uh, Utah thirty-one to seven over Weber State. No line on this game, uh, FCS game, but you know, only thirty-one. Again, Utah's playing with you know without without Keithy, without Cam Rising. They they did switch over and start the more running quarterback Nate Johnson, who ran for ran sixteen times for seventy-one and a touchdown. Threw it a little bit for one hundred ninety-three and another touchdown. But as a game, Utah won easily, but also you know. You know how impressed? I don't know. Is it impressed? I didn't watch the game, but thirty-one seems like whatever. Okay, you beat up on Weber State, but you didn't like beat beat up on Weber State. Yeah, I guess not everybody is going to show up and hang fifty on every FCS and G five opponent, and so I guess if, it depends what your expectations are. But this is a very Utah win to me. Like they do this every year. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to describe it. This is a typical Utah win. Yes. Exactly. All right. Um, speaking of the Washington State Cougars, another game that is that had no line, uh, 64-21 victory over the Northern Colorado Bears. Duh, Bears. Lost. Duh, Bears. Big. Duh, Bears. Uh, yeah. Cam Ward, 327, four touchdowns. They did what they were supposed to do. I don't have any thoughts because I didn't watch it. Yeah. Well, they were a again. It's not official spreads, but they put out these kind of FCS spreads sometimes, and they were a forty-six and a half point uh, unofficial uh, favorite. So they didn't cover that because they only won by forty-three. So whatever that means. <laughs> another yeah. uh, another FCS beatdown. Uh, this is a bad week of football. If you haven't already noticed, we talked about it last week. UCLA fifty-nine to seven over North Carolina Central Eagles. Uh, the North Carolina Central Eagles, who are two and one on the air. This was their first loss. I have no idea who the other two wins were against, but I mean, fifty nine seven. It was fifty nine zero. Thankfully, Chip has realized Dante Moore is his quarterback. Um, even though the new box or the new um, depth chart that he released today for next week shows it's Dante Moore or Ethan Garbers or Colin Schley, but. The, the actual play in the game is saying otherwise. And they, Dante attempted 12 passes and 182 yards, two touchdowns. They ran the ball. They just kind of like. It hurts how good he is. Yeah, I know. I know, like, QB. It, I that, know. One, that one's going to be the one that sings for a long time because. It's, it's going to sting. Because it would actually be perfect. For next behind Bo, it would have been the perfect transition. And like, it was very clear to me. And anybody who watched him like during his high school career that like this was not gonna be the tough transition that it is for some high school quarterbacks. And yeah. like, he's just really freaking good. Well, <laughs> and it, it hurts because yeah, next year is the first year of the Big Ten, but it's also a year where you, I, I, I think Oregon can be a better team at most positions next year than they are this year. And so quarterback's the one glaring, not to say at every position, right? Obviously, you got to you're going to replace Troy Franklin. You're going to replace some of those defensive linemen that you know in the, in the front lines. But you're going to get a lot of guys back. You know, your tackles could both be back. Certainly, your left tackle is going to be back, right? You're you're going to be reload at running back. Your defensive backs are all going to be a year older and better. So, having a quarterback next year will be nice, like a Dante yeah. Moore. But we'll have I to mean, get someone else instead. Yeah, maybe, maybe they'll be able to, they'll figure something out, but it's still nonetheless really really good player. I watched a little bit of this game and then my heart broke and I couldn't watch anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, understandable. Uh, somewhere in there, we have to talk about uh, Arizona State. They lost to Fresno State. Uh, not, they didn't just lose to Fresno State. They they did not score against Fresno State, and they had eight turnovers. This Fresno is like State. 2007 Oregon when things fell off the rails. Like they haven't. Like they aren't. Well, they're not as good as she has. Well, they were never as good as 2007. No, but like with the quarterback injuries, like they are down like to their fifth or sixth guy, and like they just they don't have a chance. I'm not going to judge Kenny Dillingham too harshly over yeah. this. Like, I bet the over in this game. Thankfully, I was able to cash it out before the game started when I found out that Rashada wasn't going to play because, like, he Rashada is that offense right now, and they'll build around him. They'll pick up some good players this off season. I'm sure in the transfer portal, and they'll improve. But it's it's going to be a tough rest of the year for them. Yeah, and it, I mean it, it. It's clearly a rebuild year, right? I mean they they imposed the bowl ban. Their roster clearly isn't as good as as maybe some people thought it was going to be, and yeah, it's going to be a long, long year for ASU. And and yeah, again, not going to judge Kenny for that. We'll see what he can do next year in the uh, Big Twelve. All right, let's move over to some national games. We had six, seven of these to talk about, so we'll rapid fire through these and talk about them as little or as much as as you want. Obviously, the big one, Florida. Uh, over Tennessee, 29-16, a game that I picked Tennessee in uh, for our picks. You picked Florida. Uh, Justin also picked Tennessee. But honestly, I've thought all along Tennessee is kind of a fraud as a top-10 team, and I think this game proved it. Yeah, yeah, they are. They were definitely a fraud. Joe Milton isn't very good. I'm, I'll be very surprised if he finishes the year as their starter. Um, he's just it's a Nico show. Yeah, I, you would think, right? Like they spent a lot of money to get that guy in there. You might as well just start playing him at this point. But we'll we'll see what they end up deciding to do. But Florida just kind of like crockpotted him. It was like super slow, pace, slow pace of play. Like they had twenty two minutes of possession in the first half. Florida did, uh, <laughs> and they just ran the ball and kept everything. Like they just can long control drives, and Tennessee couldn't get them off the field and. When Tennessee was on the field, they couldn't block Florida. It's pretty tough to win a football game when that's the case, right? And so um, Florida just crockpotted them slowly over the course of a couple quarters. But, I mean, this game was, for all intents and purposes, over a halftime. I think it was 26-7. to seven. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Penn State, Illinois, 30-13. to 13, Penn State was the winner. That uh, We all cashed that one because we picked Penn State. It was a 14-and-a-half spread, so they barely covered it. Do you feel better or worse about your Penn State pick uh, at this point of the season, QB? Because I feel really good about it. I think they, I think they have the best quarterback in the Big Ten, and they'll probably have the best quarterback in the Big Ten next year too. Yeah, Alar was sixteen of thirty-three for two hundred eight, no touchdowns, no picks in this game. But uh, it was kind of a, I don't know, it was kind of a weird game. Illinois still has some talent on defense. Yeah. Um. And, like, again, this wasn't, like, his banner statistical performance. It's not like – they're not, like, counting on him to put up insane numbers every week. But his talent and, like, the types of throws that he can make are pretty crazy. Yeah, he feels – Penn State feels like a team that's playing, like, prototypical, like, Big Ten football from, like, 20 years ago. 
Like, I mean, they're way more athletic than Big Ten teams. Yeah, I, but you know. know what I mean, like the style, I, the style of play. Like, we're not, they're not like get it to go out there and throw the ball around and put up fifty, you know, put up fifty points. They're just, we're gonna play great defense and we're gonna have this balanced kind of ball control offense that wears you down and and scores thirty points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, don't, I think works. they're more explosive than that personally, but I that's that's fair. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm not discounting them. I just, it just, they have that vibe to me, like, kind of like the what you think about when you think about a Big Ten team. Fair enough. All right, another Big Ten team. Minnesota went on the road to North Carolina. They were a eight point underdog, and North Carolina easily covered that 31 13 victors at home over the Golden Gophers. Carolina moves to three and zero on the air. Yeah, Minnesota is just pitiful offensively. Like they can't do anything. They're really well coached. Joe Rossi's an excellent defensive coordinator. It just doesn't matter because they they this quarterback that they hyped all offseason isn't particularly good, um, and they they just don't move the ball. Like when when you go back and watch that that week was it week zero or week one game between Nebraska and Minnesota, that was probably the ugliest offensive game that we could see this year, but. <laughs> You never know because Iowa and Minnesota. I don't know. Still Iowa's playing play. still. Yeah. Iowa and Minnesota still have to play. So we'll see what that looks like. But yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. You and Justin picked North Carolina. I don't, for some reason, I picked Minnesota. I, maybe I thought eight was too much. I, I honestly I have no idea what in the world I was thinking picking Minnesota to somehow uh, cover this. So shame on me. Uh, they weren't even close. Hindsight's always a good guide. I mean, there's been a couple <laughs> picks where I'm like, I should have known that was going to happen, but it's all right. We ease into the season by week five, week six. Hopefully we're hitting at a higher rate because we know who these teams are a little bit better. So one of my strategies in picking the games that we were going to talk about this week, QB, was realizing it was a down week. There was not a single you know, top 25 versus top 25 matchup in week three. I kind of took the opportunity to, to sprinkle in as many Big Ten teams uh, as I could that probably won't get featured in this segment uh, for the rest of the season. And one of those teams is your 3-0 and Rutgers Scarlet Knights, fresh off a 35-16 to victory over Virginia Tech, who falls to 1-2 and on the year. And, and Rutgers easily covered the seven-point spread that yeah. only Justin picked to the, them to cover. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I get yeah, this is like you talk about like I should have known better. I should have known better. This one. What this was one, I thinking picking Virginia Tech? I don't know. They're terrible. I have no idea. Virginia They're Tech's a bad horrible. Team. Yeah. Both Virginia schools are pretty horrible. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and yet they're at least one of them is highly desired in in whatever the next round of realignment is. That's I don't really understand that one. I like to me it's the like, market. It's the DMV market, I think. Yeah, I just, and, the, I guess, and the academic prestige of Virginia, of the University of Virginia. No, I, I get all that, right? I'm not like, and I understand that that stuff matters a lot to these these presidents and chancellors. But, um, like when I think of like for football standpoint, like I would think that the better brand is Virginia Tech historically. Yeah, but I don't maybe like, I'm wrong. When, like when has Virginia ever been good at football? I guess uh, they're just they bring them into the fold and they could be another Vanderbilt or something. I don't know. Somebody's got to soak up losses, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know that Virginia ever has been really good at football. They've had some good players over the years though. Yeah, well, everybody has a good player now and then. Okay, moving on. 
a couple more teams we probably won't feature very much on this segment this year. Syracuse goes to three and zero as well on a thirty-five to twenty victory at Purdue, who is definitely not the Purdue of last year, uh, who won the the Big Ten West. I don't think that's didn't they win the they did win the Big Ten West. Yeah, right? they won the Big they Ten West last year. Yeah, well, they're one and two now. They don't look very good at all. Syracuse destroyed them thirty-five to twenty. You and Hop got that one right, and for some reason, I picked Purdue. So, I, I'm terrible at this. I I've lost some money already this year on Purdue, and so I'm done trying to hope Purdue's going to somehow figure it out. Um, they're in transition. They've got they, they they turned over a lot from a year ago, um, with losing a, a really good head coach, quite frankly, who went to Louisville and Jeff Brom, and hiring your first year head coach who's a defensive coordinator, and I think that's. I think he's showing some of like the tendencies for, of uh, overmanaging an offense by a defensive coach, um, and so hopefully he gets that cleaned up this offseason and they can they can make some strides. All right, QB, that brings us to LSU Mississippi State. Um, free money. This was so free. <laughs> uh, yeah, we all got this one right. It was a nine and a half point spread, and uh, it was forty one fourteen victory. Um, Mississippi State is another program in transition because their new coach is trying to move them away from the Mike Lee Jair raid and into more of a traditional kind of ball control running game attack. And so it's going to take a while for them to get. Uh, I think we're going to have to downgrade our expectations for them this year because I think we were both a little higher on them in the preseason than, than maybe they weren't. But LSU, uh, yeah, pretty easy win. Jalen Dan- well, Daniels, 361, two touchdowns. The most disappointing part about this team for Mississippi State is the defense. Like the defense returned quite a bit and has has a lot of the same pieces off a pretty good unit last year, and it's just not performing that well. I don't know. I'm not I'm not the biggest Zach Arnett fan, but we'll uh, we'll see how that ends up working out for them. Yeah, they had a Mississippi State a hundred and seven yards passing, one oh seven. This is a team that was coached by Mike Leach last year, and they had 100 yards passing in an entire game. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. Yeah, and they only had 200 yards of total offense, so you're not going to win very many games with 200 yards of offense. No, and, and LSU, despite losing to Florida State week one, especially now that Mason Smith is back in the lineup, is a really good football team. Um and I'm I'm looking forward. I think the, I think they have to be the favorite to win the SEC West. Yeah, with the way Alabama's looking, uh, Texas A&M offense, not being able to block anybody. Like, yeah, it's got to. I mean, yeah, I think it's. But we and another episode we need to talk about the SEC. But everyone else has been covering that pretty well. Too, SEC is so. horrible this year. Like genuinely, yeah, like, they're really down. They're really down. The, the best yeah. team is Georgia, and, and they're obviously really ridiculously talented and could beat anybody on any day. But outside of them, is there like LSU is probably the second best team and beyond them, it's like quite the drop off. Like obviously there's a lot of talent on that Bama roster still, but their quarterback situation is like basically like they're deciding between Jeff Lockie and Braxton Burmeister on a week to week basis. Their offensive uh, line is a problem. I, Which is shocking to say about Alabama, but their offensive line is not playing well. No, I think they hate the quarterbacks. <laughs> I, I, that's the story that I'm going to rock with because there's a lot of future NFL players on that offensive line. They're just going to Olay and Matador them, uh, Matador the, the thing is, the, is like the if they get them hurt, like, the it's not like there's a better option on the bench. Like it just gets worse. I uh, know. That's what, that's what yeah, we learned about Bama is like Jalen Milrow is legitimately their best option. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
I, I, I'll be fascinated to watch that play out this year. All right, one more game. Best game of the weekend by far. Uh, Missouri moves to 3-0 and with a 30-27 to victory over Kansas State on a walk-off 61-yard field goal after a delay of game penalty pushed it back from 56 to 61 and the dude just nailed it money right through the uprights to walk off a 61 yarder and pull in the 31 30 to 27 victory and um you picked mizzou uh, justin and i took the l on that one yeah, this is one i actually decided to bet the money line on the morning of and i'm very glad i did because that was my probably my best bet of the day um I, I just like Kansas State is just not like they're a very well coached, they're a very solid football team, but they're just not like so dominant that they're gonna just beat everyone that they're better than. Like they they have they're a good team, they're very solid everywhere, but they're not really elite anywhere. And because of that, it makes them beatable. And I think that like especially on the road in Columbia, like Missouri is a tough team. Like they've got a pretty good defense. They've got some good playmakers on offense, like Luther Burden. Um, and I think that their quarterback is kind of starting to figure it out and play some pretty decent football. Yeah. And I think, I think you saw that with, with Kansas state last year too, right? I mean, they won the big 12, but it, I mean, they had to grind out every win. It felt like, so um, when they blow teams out, it's because they're just running the ball like crazy. It's not because they're like actually just way better than the team that they're playing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't. Yeah. They don't have the same kind of impressive, dominant wins that some like that other teams that win conferences do. Totally. They don't have Let's, the ability uh, to be consistently explosive in the passing game like a lot of other teams. So that's why like, I like, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point. Like I know Texas had like a weird game against Wyoming, but they have to be like a very like a very strong favorite in that league right now. Oh yeah, I I would think so as well. Um, Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and announce our updated Pac-12 power rankings and then we'll maybe hit a couple listener questions and call it a day. All right, and we're back. QB, it's uh, time to update our Pac-12 power rankings. I have a a clarification question, point of clarification, point of order. Am I allowed to have two number 12s? Uh, no, you have to actually no. pick which one is the worst. Okay. Okay. Well, my number 12 is Arizona state. Yeah. Uh, they have to be number 12 cause they don't have, a, they don't have any quarterback. Although I'm not sure that Stanford does either. Um, but I think Stanford has probably a better overall team talent, which is actually kind of crazy to say, considering they just it was lost not, Sacramento it was just, state. <laughs> it was just two years ago. It was just two years ago that, you know what? Yeah. No, Stanford has to be 12. You don't get okay, to lose going... to FCS schools. Okay, so you're going Stanford 12. Yeah, you're right. Arizona State did beat their FCS school by uh, a touchdown, and Stanford actually lost to theirs. So you got ASU 11, Stanford 12. Yeah. Okay, I went the other way around, but your logic actually is is sound. So uh, Cal at 10 for me. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not good either. Yeah, they had an unimpressive 31-17 victory over their FCS opponent, Idaho. Um, and then Cal Cal goes up to uh, Seattle to take on Washington this weekend. So that should be fun. What could possibly go wrong? I, I don't know. Uh, Washington don't know. by whatever the line is. Well, the last time Cal went to Washington, wasn't that the year they had like the lightning storm and a bunch of delays and then ultimately Cal won? 
So maybe maybe they're a hope for Lightning again. Maybe Lightning can strike twice. This Cal offense is like still pretty rough. I don't think they're good at quarterback. They might have been okay had that plumber kid stuck around, but now he's starting at Louisville with Brom. Um, and yeah, Cal's bad. Yeah, I, but uh, you know, my, I don't remember what my over under. I think what we bet all our money on the under, right? Like on their season under because it was like four and a half, and they're at two. So yeah, can they find three? I actually have, I actually have double money on that game because I also made another side bet with somebody who said that Cal would win three or more conference games. So if Cal wins three or more conference games, that? we lose. It was some. I'll show you. It's one of our friends, one of our mutual acquaintances. Gotcha. Um, but if they win three or more conference games, then not only will I lose that side bet, we will also lose our over under bet. Uh, but I feel pretty good that Cal's not going to win three conference games because no, no, they can no. only play Stanford once. Yeah, yeah, and they're not beating. I don't think they're beating anybody else. I think their only chance at a win in the North is Stanford. Yeah, they're not beating anyone else in the North. No way. No, Wazoo's a lot better than I was expecting. So with that being the case, I don't see how they beat Wazoo. Uh, do they have Arizona State on their schedule? They better, because they need that win. They yeah, need I, that would, game. <laughs> I wouldn't pick them to beat Colorado. No way. No. No way. All or right. Arizona. We've talked long enough about the three worst teams in this conference. Let's talk about number nine, who is Arizona for me. Yep, same. And I actually think Arizona is probably better than this, but Jane Delora is, yeah, he's the worst quarterback of every team listed above. Like, if I lined up all these quarterbacks, he's the last one I'd pick of all of one through nine. Well, here's what's crazy. So we've got Arizona ranked as our ninth best team in the Pac-12. Um, they are two and one. I think they're probably a bowl team. And they're the ninth ranked team in our power rankings. Yeah. I mean, they're not horrible. Like they're, they're a solid football team. They'd be like the third or fourth best team in the SEC West or East. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. So we'll see. They've got, uh, they got coming up. They've got, they go to Stanford. So there you go. They could move to three and one. I think it's pretty likely they move to three and one. Yeah. And then they host Washington uh, the week after that. So, and that's All right. you want to keep an eye on because that's kind of like the look ahead possibility for Washington with the bye week and then the Oregon game. Yeah, and I think that's also I, I I don't expect Arizona to win. I mean, Washington does go down to the desert and there's a late kick in the desert for that game and the look ahead game we talked about. But what I'm more interested in that game is Arizona will be the first opponent that Washington faces that actually can throw the ball. Yeah. So uh, I'll be interested to see is Washington's pass defense improved over last year, or is it just that they've played up to that point? We'll have played four teams who cannot throw the ball. We'll see. We will. All right. That moves us to number eight. I I've have got Colorado. I also have Colorado at eight. I think our, I think we'll probably be pretty much the same because I think this is pretty straightforward from here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Colorado struggled to put away Colorado State. I think a lot of their flaws, which we knew were out there, were somewhat exposed in the first two games, really got exposed even more so in this game. And, um, you know, they're they're a very one-dimensional team. Shador Sanders can throw the ball around. They really can't run. They really can't defend. And uh, they're going to struggle once they get to better teams on their schedule, which starts now. It does. And to be fair, I think Shador Sanders is like – 
really good. Yeah, <laughs> he made way he better was, than I thought he was. He was be. hanging way in. He was playing tough. He was making really like contested tight window throws with pressure in his face, constantly getting hit. He's been sacked a ton this year, um, and he just keeps standing in there and making good decisions. And so, I think Colorado will likely beat somebody above them on this power rankings at some point this season. I just don't think it happens this week. I don't think it happens the next two weeks, but yes, I agree. In fact, they might beat multiple someones above them on this list, but not in the next two weeks. I have no, Washington I State at number seven. I do as well. And I think that this is going to be their last week at seven. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if they beat Oregon State, they're going to move up. If they lose, then you know they'll probably stay where they are unless Arizona somehow jumps up a couple spots. Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh... I think Wazoo is going to be really interesting to watch. Like, if they can stop the run halfway consistently, then Washington State becomes like a pretty interesting team for the rest of the year. Oregon State's run game is going to be a good test for them. Yeah, I totally agree with that one. Uh, speaking of, I have Oregon State as number six. Ditto. Yeah, I think you saw a little bit this week why they maybe can't be trusted to to jump into that upper echelon of this conference, which is a really good conference. And being number six in this conference is not doesn't doesn't make you a bad team by any stretch. So, uh, yeah, Oregon State's I mean, got some talent, and you know their quarterback play is certainly better than last year. But they, you know, there's a lot of good teams out of them on this list. They are who we thought they were. Like Oregon's, like they are exactly who I thought Oregon State was going to be this year. Like yeah. they're sound. They're not. They're not elite on either side of the ball. They can run the ball well. Uh, their quarterback play is definitely better than it was a year ago, but it's not gangbuster. Um, and they're gonna at some point they're gonna miss a lot of the guys that they lost in the secondary from last year. Yeah, they're an eight and four, nine and three team. Yeah, they're, they're on... a good football team. Yeah. Yep. Uh, who you got at five? I've got UCLA. I also have UCLA. Just we did not coordinate that, these, by the way. This is no. these are our own independent lists. No, it just seems natural to have UCLA there. Um, their their defensive front seven is pretty dynamic. They've got a good pass rush. And now that Dante Moore is their starting quarterback, the offense is really clicking. So um, UCLA is going to be dangerous. Yeah, and actually, this week will be really like, fun to watch. I'm I have money on them yeah. to beat Utah outright. So yeah, I was just going to say that's who I have at number four is Utah. Um, I got Utah four, UCLA five. I think this game this week will, I mean, is it an elimination game for one of them? It's crazy to say that neither one has lost a game, but it's hard to imagine the loser of this game somehow being able to. It is for Utah back into the Pac-12 title game. Because of the schedules, it is an elimination game for Utah, but it is not for UCLA. Because Utah's not going to run the table against Oregon, Washington, and USC. Um, and UCLA doesn't play Oregon or Washington. Yeah, they only play USC. So, yeah, if they lost, they could they could still lose to USC and end up 7-2. and two, But they, I don't know, they'd have to win some weird tiebreaker. But they could also beat USC and, and take it. So, yeah, I, I, that's fair. It's probably an elimination game for Utah, which is crazy in the week one of the conference play. But... I mean, it uh, removes any margin for error that they have. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. I've got Oregon at three. Yeah, I don't. I've got USC at three. All right. You, yeah, you this is where we differ. I, I think I think Oregon's defense is 
clearly better than USC's at this point. Um, and like, I don't really think that like how many points USC has scored against San Jose State and Stanford is changing my mind. Like, I already knew they had a good offense, um, and so I'm just I'm going off the defenses here, and I'm taking Oregon. That's fair. Uh, I'm probably doing a little bit of like. I don't want to be a homer, so I'm gonna like be harsher on Oregon than than maybe I would be if I if I was not an Oregon fan. So, um, but I I hear your point, and I do think that Oregon I see Oregon's defense as having the most upside to it out of any of these top three. Hundred uh, percent. That's not, I don't really. I think don't think that's, that's that debatable. Deep. No, yeah. it's not. All right. So who do you have at two? I got Oregon at two. Um. Had Oregon taken care of business a little bit better against Texas Tech, I'd have them at one. But Washington went on the road to East Lansing, which despite them being a dumpster fire, is still a tough place to play and put away Michigan State in pretty emphatic fashion. And so I'm going to put Washington at one for right now and keep Oregon at two. I've got Washington at two and USC at one. Um, But yeah, all the things you're saying, I mean, to me, it's like, okay, now we're the, the preseason is over. And I think Dan said this earlier today too, but right, like the out of conference games are over, all these mismatches, right? Everyone's trying to draw conclusions because this team beat their FCS team by more than that team beat their FCS team, and this team beat up on the number 120 G5 T. It's like we're all trying to like read the tea leaves when we're not actually seeing like for like competition across the country and across the conference yeah. in most cases. And now we're going to start seeing these things. We're going to start seeing common opponents. We're going to start seeing you know, conference games from here on out. There's only two non-conference games left in the Pac-12. There's Stanford versus Notre Dame and and USC versus Notre Dame. And that's it. Everyone else is full conference games from here on out. And so we're going to start seeing the rubber meet the road here week by week. Yeah, well, this top three will shake itself out over time. I just think this is the top three. I don't really care what order you put them in. They're the three best teams in the conference as it stands today. And we'll see how it looks here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Hey, QB, you want to do uh, a few minutes of listener questions? Sure. Yeah, we got a few out there. All right, Scott Harrell asks, do you see Bose missed deep shots as a mechanical flaw or something more reps will iron out? As we get into conference play, those shots become more and more important to hit. You kind of touched on this earlier, but go ahead. I don't think it's mechanics. Like, his mechanics are fine. It's not <clears throat> It's not a footwork issue. Like, like, when I watch his film, like, his mechanics are clean. He's just dropping his back shoulder and throwing a deep. That's what you're supposed to do. I just sometimes I wonder if he has the best feel for that throw. Um, but he's also really nailed that throw a couple times too, right? So we'll see. Yeah. I, he didn't he, he didn't miss any of them against Tech. Did he miss any against uh, Portland State? I can't remember. Mm, I think there might have been one early that touched Franklin that was overthrown as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, like, hopefully it's something with reps that gets ironed out as the season goes on. But he hit Tez. I mean, that was a great throw. Both his throws to Troy Franklin, both the one that was dropped and the one that was caught against Tech were great throws. Um, so I, I don't see it being a major issue. I think his ball placement's really good. Mechanically, he's super clean. Like, it's basically teach tape with Bo. Like, he's very well synced up. So I don't see any, like, crazy physical technical issues there. Yeah, and he was one of the best passers in the country last year on deep shots. So I, it's probably just you know getting the kinks worked out, and we'll see how it plays out over the rest of the year. All right, next one. Vaughn asks, should we be worried about the offensive line not creating a lot of holes for the run game, particularly in the inside run game? If the same problems are persisting in three or four weeks, then yes. 
Um, but if it's one of those things where as the unit gels, it improves, then I it's not going to be something that worries me. Yeah, I, I think if this is just kind of that, you know, getting guys on the same page, um, you know, kind of thing. I, I I don't think it's a real problem. I'm super concerned about either. Uh, Quackmire asks, is Colorado's quarterback, Shooter Sanders, a dual threat quarterback? I haven't watched them. If so, how do you think the defense fares against him? They seem to have struggled by running quarterbacks a bit. So he is dual threat, um, but he's not someone that, like, he's not, doesn't have really, like, good top-end juice. He's got enough athleticism. Like, you think about who his dad is, um, and you'd expect him to be probably a little faster than he is. I mean, his dad's one of the fastest players in the history of the NFL. Um, but Shadur is, like, a solid runner. Um, he can he can scramble and get a first down. He's not going to gash you for a 50- or 60-yard run. Like, Chuck was a better runner. Chuck's a more impactful. He's faster. Um, but... He's definitely a threat with his legs, um, specifically in the scramble drill, because they're not going to run him by design. Like he's their whole team. Like if he gets hurt, they're screwed. Yeah, and that's what makes it a very different than the Tech game, right? Like those Shuck, nineteen of Shuck's twenty-two runs in that game were were either quarterback power, quarterback draw type of runs, right? And I don't even think there was very many. There might have been one or two options in there, but for the most part, they were just like quarterback keeper, um, and. And this is not what you're going to see from Sanders, right? It's going to be much more like we're dropping back to pass. Nothing's there. I'm going to get what I can. Yeah, when he's not getting sacked, he can sometimes escape. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brent Schultz asks, how much do you think the defense has improved through three games from last year? And what do you think the realistic ceiling is for it? I think the realistic ceiling is somewhere in the top 30 of F plus S and P plus Um, 20 to 30. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good range for this defense. And I, I I think it's certainly improved from last year. I think we've talked about that a lot, this podcast. It's just like the overall team speeds better. The back half is there's not as many weak links to pick on in the back half. Um, Having Popo back, adding Mateo and Birch, what that's done for the pass rush. And I mean, it's very clearly better than last year. Agreed. Another defensive question. Neil Barker asks, what will the defense staff have learned and should implement after watching the buffs in the Colorado state game? Um, I'm not sure they have to blitz as much as Colorado state did, but I mean, certainly getting pressure, right? When Colorado state was bringing pressure and bringing heat on Sanders, they were having a lot of success defensively when they, sat back, you know, Sanders was able to kind of pick them apart a bit. Again, Oregon will play a different defensive scheme. I think they'll play a lot less zone and a lot more man. So I'm not sure the the situation is the same, but I I do think getting pressure on Sanders often will be helpful. 100%. Like, I don't think Oregon has to bring extra bodies, but I think that they will absolutely do it at times. Like, it's going to be a situation where Oregon – is going to pick their spots though a little bit more because I think that Oregon can just rush forward, drop seven, and and really get after him pretty much whenever they want. Um, because that offensive line is horrible, and if these, if if the refs that call are calling this game call holding the right tackle is going to be in for a long night. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, it feels like you get feast or famine with the Pac-12 refs and that stuff. Like they felt like that that Colorado Colorado State game there was a ton of holding calls. And then I watch our games and it feels like there's never a holding call. Yeah. I mean, they could have called legitimately like watching that Colorado film. They could have called holding on the right tackle 
basically every play of the last three Colorado possessions. Like he was, he doesn't even move his feet. Like he's stiff as a board. Um, and he's just grabbing. And I think that we're going to be able to absolutely manhandle them on the interior. Um, it's, I'm very much looking forward to this matchup. Like Dan, Dan's going to, they're going to be able to pick how they win defensively against Colorado. Um, and, like it's going to be tough because they've got some pretty good players on the outside. They're they're really well coached. They can play with pretty insane tempo, um, and they've got a really good quarterback who keeps them in games. Right? Like if if not for Shadur Sanders, this is probably a winless club to this point this season. Oh, oh without a doubt. Yeah, so, he's been really good. All right, we'll talk fantastic. more about them and that and the game plan later. Uh, a couple more quick ones. What are your thoughts on Ty Thompson versus last season? He has looked good so far in garbage time this year. Yeah, he looks more comfortable. I think that, uh, again, like they're just letting him play within the offense, which is nice to see. So I'm not going to take anything crazy from it. I'm not going to be hyperbolic and say, oh, yeah, he's shown that he can be the guy next year, but he's certainly improved. I don't think there's any way to dispute that. That's all we got, QB. Good show. That's all the questions for today. Yeah, no, it's a great show. And, again, we're uh, it's exciting to be back and to be back chatting with you. I can't wait. As you can see, we're already – we're starting to go down the Colorado uh, preview rabbit holes multiple times in this episode. So I think that one's going to be a fun one too. So make sure you all listen to that on Tuesday and any last thoughts QB before we call it a night? No, I I'm just excited to start talking about more PAC 12 teams because th- this is the personnel we know the best. Um, I think that like these picks against the spread are where we're going to find out if we really have a good grasp of what's going on in the conference right now. And so um, looking forward to talking about all these, the, the first week of true PAC 12 football, Obviously, uh, Stanford has already played USC, but um, they don't really count their ACC. So <laughs> that's right. That was an ACC versus Big Ten game. Yeah, maybe? it was. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and I, you know that's another thing we can start covering the Big Ten a little bit more too as we focus in. We have fewer Pac-12 games every week, so we can start hitting more of the Big Ten, more of the interesting Big Ten conference games as well. Start learning that conference a little bit more as we kind of work our way through the season. So. All right, we will be back on Thursday morning, and thank you all for listening. Check out the the follow it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow QB11 at the QB11SD on Twitter at QB11Show on Twitter. I'm at Douglas TS on Twitter. Good night.